Well, good morning, church. Uh, perception, you know, is, a, is an interesting thing. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you have ever noticed something for the first time that might actually have been there for quite a long time. For instance, like maybe a dent in your car or a picture frame maybe in your house that just isn't quite straight or maybe that strange light switch that you just have no idea what it actually does. And you think to yourself, like, how long has that actually been there? Uh, sometimes I think it, it takes us a while maybe to see something that has actually been right in front of us all along, or sometimes it requires us to look at something just a little bit, just a little bit closer in order for us to see the big picture. But the truth is, like, once you see it, right, you can't unsee it. And uh, so to illustrate that, we're going we're gonna to do a little activity this morning. This is actually an activity that we do when we're training a mission team to go serve on a short-term mission trip. So uh, you get a sneak peek of this. This is what I'm going to need you to do really fast, is grab one partner uh, next to you that you're uh, going to team up with. And so uh, maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them. That's okay, too. Uh, so grab a partner uh, next to you. Uh, if you've can't find a partner, just grab maybe a note card in front of you and you can play along that way. I'm going to show you uh, three pictures on the screen uh, just really briefly, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to share with your partner the very first thing that you see when you see the picture. Does that make sense? Everybody got it? Okay. Got your partner. Here's picture number one. There it is. Okay, picture number two. And picture number three. Okay, let's see what you saw. So we'll go back up to picture number one. How many of you saw like trees and a gray sky and birds in the air? Raise your hand, first thing that you saw. Okay, how many of you saw a face? Wow, not bad. Okay, picture number two. How many of you saw a young woman looking over in the distance? First thing you saw. How many of you saw the older woman? All right, awesome. And picture number three. How many of you saw a duck? And who saw a rabbit? You see it? <clears throat> yeah. All right. Good job, good job. Here's the truth, right? We, uh, we gain a, a bigger or broader perspective when we choose to look at something just a little bit more closely. Uh, I want to welcome you to Abundant Life Church. My name is uh, Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in a series that uh, we've called uh, Neighborhoods to Nations, as we're looking at one of our pursuits as a church and what is God's call for us in, uh, outside of the walls of, of ALC. And Pastor Gareth kicked off this series last week, if you recall, and, uh, and he talked about a few things that we learn about God as we uh, dive into this conversation. One of those is that a God is a God of mission, right? God is at work all around us, and by his nature, he's a God of mission, and God is currently on mission. He's on mission in your life, in my life. He's on mission in the life of our church, in our community, in the world, uh, all around us. And and part of that is then God is, he's already on mission. He's inviting us then to join him in the work that he's already doing. 
And what is it that motivates God? Well, we learned last week that God is compelled by love. It's his love for you and I, his love for people that motivates him, compels him to be working all around us. And so today though, what we're gonna do is then we're gonna explore what is God's calling for us as a church and us as followers of Jesus uh, locally in our community, in our neighborhood. And the word that we would use to describe the, the local call that God has for us as a church is the word outreach. Now, as we get started in this conversation, I, there's something I want you all to hear, and that is this. God has things for you to do. He has things for you to do. God has a purpose for your life. God has a mission for your life. In fact, you might say it this way, God has a call, a calling for your life. You weren't just saved to, uh, to secure your space in heaven one day and then just live out your life however you'd like. No, God has purpose for your life. He has meaning for your life. In fact, you might say that you were saved for a purpose. You were saved for a mission for the betterment of other people and people around you. In fact, you might say it this way, that saved people are sent people who serve people. And so God has a call for your life and that he's sending you to be part of his mission. Now, when you answer that call, when you respond to the call that God has for your life, I think what you'll discover is a greater depth and understanding of the world, the community around us, and the people in it. And so what we're gonna do in the time that we have together is we're gonna look at some of the words of Jesus together and then reflect on like what is the call that God has specifically uh, for us as a church and as followers of Jesus. And I believe there's, there's three calls that God has uh, on our life and that's what we're gonna look at this morning. The first one is this, you are called to go. You are called to go. This is a call to movement. It's a call to, to action, to get up and get going and get moving. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus is addressing his followers, and uh, it's after the events of Easter, so Jesus has already resurrected, but, and he's getting ready to leave, and so he's having this conversation with his followers, and it's like some of his last words. And last words, right, are important words. Last words are words that are worth listening to. And so these are important words. And so Jesus gathers them together, and in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, he says this. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I want you to circle or highlight, if you're following along, the word go. You see, Jesus is giving us kind of that charge. He's giving us the, the calling to, to go. And what's interesting is he says, like he's, he's rallying like the authority that he's been given. He said, I've been given all of the authority found in heaven, all of the authority that's found in earth, which is a lot of authority. And he's calling upon all of the authority that he's been given so that I can commission you, I can charge you, I can, I can encourage you with all that I've got to tell you to do one thing, to go to go into all the world and to make disciples. Now, that word go is an active word, right? It's not a passive word, it's an active word. It means that you have to, uh, to get up, to go somewhere, to get going. You can't do this from, from your home, you can't do this from uh, your couch or from your phone or your laptop. It requires you to get up and get going and get moving. In fact, it requires you to be intentional. And then he says to go where? He says to go to all the nations. 
In other words, that command to go is uh, beyond where you are right now. Okay, it's beyond where you are right now. It's beyond where you're comfortable. It's beyond where it's known. It's beyond where it's safe. He, and he's saying that I'm commanding you to go and to make disciples. In other words, to help other people live out God's extraordinary story in their own life. Now, in the book of Acts, Jesus is having a similar conversation with uh, his followers. And in Acts chapter 1, you see the same kind of scenario. He's, he's having the conversation. It's after the resurrection, uh, post the events of Easter. And these are, again, important words. And he says this in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And again, what you see is Jesus essentially giving the command, the encouragement, the, the calling to go. Only this time he says, you're not gonna go alone, right? You go in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit that lives within you goes with you and will give you power to be a witness for Jesus. Now, He's a little bit more specific on where we go in this passage. He says, right, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I wanna look at then for us, like what does that look like? There's a diagram I wanna show up here on the screen. Uh, so this is kind of what Jesus is giving the command to go to. And that is all well and good, but what does that look like? What does that mean for us today? As Abundant Life Church in 2023, what does this mean? Well, so let me walk through kind of what the context of, of each of those spheres might look like for us that Jesus is calling us to go to. The first one is Jesus is saying that you start in Jerusalem. Well, what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is like where you live. It's like we talk about neighborhoods to nations. Jerusalem is like your neighborhood. It's where you might go shopping. It's where you have community. It's where you have neighbors. It's where you have friends. It's the community in which you live. It's close in proximity. And Jesus is saying, go. This might be the city in which you live. It might be Happy Valley or Clackamas or Damascus or Oregon City or Gresham or, or maybe Sandy or wherever community you find yourself. And Jesus is saying, go, you'll be my witness. But he says we're also supposed to go beyond that into this region of Judea. So what is Judea? Well, Judea might represent more of like a, a region for us. Like there, there are some commonalities, some things that we like share and have in common and understand. We might not see eye to eye uh, over everything, but at least it's familiar. And so for us, that might look like maybe the state in which we live in, like in Oregon, or potentially like the greater Portland metro area, which is part of the region in which we live. And Jesus is saying, go, you will be my witness. But then he branches out beyond that into the realm of Samaria. And in Samaria, Samaria would represent a place like where there's differences, right? There's different cultures, there's different backgrounds, different religious beliefs, different political uh, beliefs, different values. Uh, there's just differences, and, and the world in which we live in, right, experience differences. And so where might that look like for us? Well, that very well might look like the country in which we live in, in the United States, right? Because we live in a country where there's all kinds of differing opinions and thoughts and beliefs and values, and Jesus is saying to go, you will be my witness. Now at Abundant Life, 
when we refer, we use the word outreach, we refer to the work that is being done in those three spaces. The idea of outreach for us is kind of like you can reach out and you can grab a hand and you can help someone out. And so it's close in proximity, it's, it's local. And so it represents the work that we do in our immediate local community, in our kind of regional area, and at times maybe in the country that we're part of in the United States. Next week, we're gonna talk about the last sphere, which is the idea of the ends of the earth, and that would represent a different country, different culture, and we would use the word missions to describe that. But today, as we think about kind of local, uh, the local calling that God has for us, you'll find on, the, on your way out, we actually have some of our uh, local partners represented in the lobby as a way just for you to get an idea and uh, um, connect with some of our local partnerships. But this is what I want you to hear today. <clears throat> As a follower of Jesus, you are called to go. This isn't a calling for a specific group of people. This isn't a calling for professional Christians or, uh, or for pastors or church staff. This is a calling for you. It's a calling for me as a follower of Jesus that we are called to go. Now, if you respond, you respond to the call to go, it's gonna require a couple things of you. One thing it's gonna require is that you would be open to disruption because whenever we respond to the call to go, there's gonna create some disruption in our lives and disruption usually is inconvenient. And so to respond to the call to go may require us to, to maybe change some of our priorities and schedules or activities or maybe even our finances. The call to go is also gonna require intentional movement. In other words, it's gonna require you to, to get up and to get going and to step forward and possibly to step past your comfort zone. And by the way, this is a, an aside, but it's always when we step past our comfort zone that we find our faith grows the most because that's where we trust Jesus in a new way. And so we are called to go. But the second calling is this, that you are called to serve. And this is a call to posture. It's how we posture ourselves towards others. And so as you think about that, how is your posture towards others today? Like, do you expect for people to, to serve you and to meet your needs? Or do you look for ways to come underneath people and to lift them up? I think it's interesting when you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament and the stories of Jesus, that whenever Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, he always painted a picture that looked different than the way of the world in which we live in. And there's an example of this in an in a interaction that he has found in Matthew, and it's in Matthew 20, uh, if you want to turn there and, and follow along. But Jesus is having a conversation that essentially redefines the idea of what greatness or success looks like in the world in which we live in. And so he begins in Matthew 20, verse 20, and he says this, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my sons sit in a place of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now today is Mother's Day and I do want to like to honor and just thank all of the moms for being awesome. And I want, to, uh, I want to set up this kind of passage and conversation because I believe the mom in this story kind of gets a bad rap. 
it's easy to like read the story and just like shake your head and think like, what is this mom like thinking? How could she ask such a thing of Jesus? And, um, and that, that's always how I understood the story when I've read it growing up. But I wanna challenge us to look a little bit deeper because I think if you read a little bit deeper, what you see is the heart of a mom in the story, right? I mean, moms love their kids. And moms will do just about anything for the benefit of their kids, am I right? Moms will advocate, moms will support, moms will sacrifice for their kids. I mean, moms will do anything. They'll bend over backwards for their kids. And sometimes, sometimes just on a very, very rare occasion, a mom might not get it right. (laughs) But the heart of the mom is always for her kids. So I wanted to tell you a story about my mom. Um, My mom is not with us uh, any longer, but my mom was an awesome mom. She had uh, two boys, myself and my brother, and um, she was an incredible mom. She was one of those moms that would do absolutely anything uh, for her boys. And I just remember vividly, when I was in seventh grade, I had a birthday party and it was a slumber party. And I... I don't know why at seventh grade I thought this was a good idea, but I was like determined that I, at the slumber party that we were gonna go teeping. Like that was, we were gonna find a way um, uh, to do this. And somehow my mom agreed to take us, which is pretty remarkable. So, uh, so I, the word was out, and then I was thinking about it this morning because all of my friends that came over brought a whole bunch of teepee uh, toilet paper, which meant their moms were okay with this plan. So, um, <clears throat> so, uh, so we uh, get ready for this like epic night, and you know we're seventh grade. This is first time like doing this. We made some rookie mistakes, and uh, so we we head out. I, probably around 10 o'clock um, because, you know, if your mom's taking you, you don't go after midnight. But uh, that was rookie mistake number one because rookie mistake number one, you don't go too early if you're gonna go teepeeing and 10 o'clock is probably just a little bit early. And uh, so we load up uh, to the Target house and uh, then we arrive, which is actually, it's located on Prescott Street, which is um, somewhat in Northeast Portland, somewhat of a busy road, and uh, which is rookie mistake number two. Uh, you don't go teeping a house that's on a fairly busy road, especially if you go too early. So, um, so we are, we're there and it, we're having a great time. Like we get out, we go for it. We're, I mean, toilet paper's flying everywhere. It's up in the trees. And then all of a sudden, a police car pulls up <laughs> and it shines its spotlight on us. And so all of us like boys, like we're hi- diving behind a tree that's in the yard. And I'll never forget my good buddy, Brandon, who's actually his mom and grandma are, are here today, but he's digging a hole in the, um, behind the trees, like bury the evidence guys. And we're trying to like bury it. <laughs> and, the, and the cop uh, asked us to all come out. And so we file out one by one. And uh, we think, oh man, this is over. And, but you remember, my mom is the getaway driver. <laughs> and so she's parked across the street. She comes running across the street and she's the officer, they're with me, they're with me. And uh, somehow she gets us off the hook. And, uh, but we, you know, we didn't finish the whole job. We still had a whole bunch left over. So what does my mom do? She takes us to another house that's... <laughs> which is a story for another time. But uh, moms are amazing, right? Moms, 
moms will, they have a heart for their kids. They will do just about anything for their kids. And I think as we look at this story, there's a couple observations I have about this mom, right? She recognizes it's good for her boys to be close to Jesus. That's a good thing. The second thing is she wants her boys to be honored in Jesus' kingdom. She wants them to be successful. And what mom doesn't want that for her kids? The challenge here is that in the, the, the way the world looks, right, at success is how she's operating, and the world would define success by position. Position would equal success in the economy of the world. And Jesus is trying to teach something different. And so Jesus says, well, success looks different than that. And so he goes on in verse 24, and he says, then when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the posture of the world is to be on top, to climb to the top of the ladder, to be the boss, to be in charge, to be able to lord it over people, to look out for number one. In other words, position equals success. And then in verse 26, he continues, he says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now listen, we can get caught thinking what's best is to be positioned for success. But what really is best in life is to be in a position to serve. And what Jesus does in this passage is he redefines what greatness looks like. He says that greatness in the kingdom of God looks like the posture of a servant. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And this is the kind of posture that Jesus is calling you and I to in all aspects of our life, at home, in the workplace, in the church, and in our community that we would have the posture of a servant. And church, this is the culture that we wanna create at Abundant Life Church. That we as a people, as a church community, as followers of Jesus, would have the posture of a servant. And as we interact and engage with our neighbors and our neighborhoods and in our community, that we would wanna come underneath and lift people up. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So I wanted to show you a picture of what this posture looks like. This is what the posture of a servant looks like. Pastor Jim shared about this a couple weeks ago. You see, servants are rarely noticed. Servants value and appreciate the, the worth of others, no matter who they are. Servants care for the needs of others ahead of their own, and servants are willing to do any job. No job is below them, even if it's washing feet. And notice what Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' posture towards us. So how's your posture today? You see, we're called as a people to go. We're called as a people then to serve out of a posture with our life. 
And then the third calling that we have is that we, you are called to engage. You're called to engage. To This is a call to action. It's a call to, to get involved, to get your hands dirty, to, to do something. And what I want to do is I want to share a passage that actually is one of my favorite passages in all of, all of the Bible. Uh, this is actually a passage uh, in the Bible. It's found in Matthew 25 that has been instrumental. I have a, a team of great volunteers that have sort of helped pray through and give vision to outreach and, and missions here at Abundant Life Church. And, and this has been kind of a core passage to help guide us uh, in this journey. But it's a complicated passage. And it's complicated for this because what it's talking about is that there's one day going to be, there's going to be a judgment where there's going to be a separation based on how we served others with our life. And I believe that what the passage is communicating is not that our salvation is dependent on, on the works of our life, but I think what this passage is communicating is that our salvation is revealed through the works of our life. You see, there's something that happens when we put truly put our faith in Jesus and we trust Jesus, we allow him to come into our life. There's a, there's a, when we encounter his love and his grace, there's a transformation that takes place on the inside and works its way out through the outside. And there's something that when we truly encounter the person of Jesus in our lives that just, it moves us, it compels us to then respond in love and service towards others. You might say it like this, that the works of our life are evidence of the work of Jesus in our life. So with that kind of thought in mind, this is what Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34 says. It says, then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you from the creation of the world. It says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. And I was in prison and you visited me. And I want you to see the response. If you wanna follow along on the screen, the, the continuing verses will be up there, beginning of verse 37. This is how they responded. It says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the kingdom will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And you see, this is a call to engagement. Jesus is calling us to engage in the needs and the care of others especially those who are on the fringes of society. And the word that we might describe those on the fringes of society that this verse is talking about is the vulnerable and displaced. It's those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are strangers or houseless or sick or in need of clothes or in prison. The vulnerable and displaced people of society. And Jesus is calling us to engage in their care. And you see, when we engage in the care of vulnerable and displaced people, Jesus says it's as if we were serving him himself. Mother Teresa said, at the end of life, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we have made, how many great things we have done. We will be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. 
So how then, kind of making it personal, practical, how do we engage? Because this is a very practical, hands-on call that we have. And I think there's a couple things we learn from the passage. The first one is this, is you have to see the need. You have to see the need. And so we have to be on the lookout for the need, right? Notice the, the question that was asked of those in the passage. They said, when did we see you, Jesus? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you without clothes or sick or in prison? And my question to you is, do you see the needs of people around you? Because engagement begins when we see the needs of others. And I think sometimes seeing the need is a little bit uncomfortable. And so sometimes we might find ourselves like right driving all the way around certain areas so we don't have to go through them. Or sometimes we'll avoid going into certain areas because they just seem too risky. But Jesus is saying to engage in the needs of others. And if we're gonna do that, we have to see the need. And if you find yourself maybe in a place where you aren't seeing the needs of vulnerable and displaced people, you might need to place yourself in a new environment. I wanna show you um, a picture on your screen. This is a picture from my life group a few years ago, um, be, probably before, just before the pandemic. One of the things that our life group has really enjoyed doing together is um, we go and serve at the harbor. And uh, the harbor is part of the Portland Rescue Mission, which is one of our partners that cares for um, people experiencing houselessness. And, um, and so this has been, it's an incredible ministry. Uh, the harbor is uh, a residential home for men, for men who have come off the streets and are doing the really hard work of getting clean, of learning to trust Jesus in their life and, and learning to develop some skills and some life skills so that they, their life can move in a new uh, trajectory. And so what our group gets to do is we come in and we, we plan a, a meal for them and uh, then we show up and we cook the meal, we prep it, and then we get to serve the men. Uh, and then the cool part is we, uh, once we've served all of the men, we get to sit down and enjoy a meal with the guys, and, uh, which is a great opportunity to get to know names and to hear some stories. And sometimes we'll get to do a fun activity. So we've done like a Sunday night football uh, with them. Uh, we did cornhole, which is what you see there. We brought the cornhole boards in. Uh, we're talking about going back in June and doing um, uh, bunco night uh, with them. But it's been, for me, and I think everyone in our group, it's been an opportunity for us to, to be in an environment to be able to see the needs of others. And so it begins with seeing the needs of others, and then once you see the need, then we have to connect through compassion. And this is huge for a big reason, right? Because connecting with compassion, because judgment is something that's formed from a distance, but compassion is developed up close. What compassion is, is it's the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress paired with a desire to alleviate it. In other words, it's caring enough, compassion is caring enough about someone else's pain that it moves you to want to do something about it. Uh, and compassion is something that's developed not from a distance, it's up close, it's in relationship. It's sitting down with somebody, knee to knee and eye to eye, and hearing their story and caring about what they're going through. 
So uh, our life group visited the harbor uh, just a few weeks ago uh, to, to do a meal again. And uh, while we were there, I met a gentleman, and uh, I don't even I remember his name, but I, he was just so full of hope and life. And I was like, oh, man, surely this guy is on staff, because he just seemed like he was so excited. And then I found out that he was actually going through the program and through our conversation. And so I just I asked him, like, hey, would you be willing to just share your story. I'd love to know just, you know, where you came from and how you ended up here. And, and uh, he's like, I don't know that you want to know my story. And I said, well, I would love to listen if you're willing to share. And so, so he proceeded to, to share his story with me of how he had grown up in a small town in Eastern Oregon. And at a really young age, he witnessed his mom being killed in front of him. And he was taken in because he didn't have his dad. And so then he was taken in by an aunt and uncle who then basically like robbed him of the life insurance that he would have received. And so the combination of like the grief and then the anger around how he was being treated by his aunt and uncle uh, basically gave him a hatred towards, towards money. And so all that he had, he just spent it all on wild living and drugs and alcohol to kind of heal the pain. And he ended up somehow on the streets of Portland and uh, realized like one day that he didn't like where his life was and, and was like, I don't want my life to end here. I need to do something else. And he realized like, through, uh, that he had encountered some people that actually were living a harder life than he was that had found their way to this place called the harbor and were actually like, doing really well and, and moving in a new direction uh, with their life. And one thing that he said that was really interesting, though, is that there was something that was the people that were getting, experiencing change in their life had something in common, and that's this. They had God in their life. And he realized, like, I'm not going to be able to make a change if I don't have God in my life. And so, uh, but he also, as he's looking at these other guys, he's like, you know what? They were living harder than I was on the street. And now like one of them's got an education, has got a job and a family. He's like, if that place can help this guy, I'm sure that this place can help me too. And so he showed up and he's doing the work to, to get clean and to get help and to get support and to turn his life around with like hope filling his eyes. And so we were like, hey, can we just, can we pray for you? And so we just, we laid hands on him and, and prayed for him. And I'm just, I'm telling you, that moment for me was like it impacted my life. There was just so much more compassion for him. And I haven't stopped thinking about him since we uh, visited there. You see, compassion is developed up close. And, and for me, it gave me a whole new perspective, a whole new sense of compassion for what people might be going through, what they're struggling through, what they're fighting through each and every day, and gave me a desire to spend a little bit more time being part of the solution with them. Now, I realize when we start talking about like our community and, and things like that, that that, you know, in our local community, we have all kinds of, of challenges and problems and things like that. But I, I just, I want to say this, right? You and I, we don't have to agree with all of the policies and solutions around solving problems in our community for us to compassionately connect with people who are experiencing those very same problems. And so we have to see the need, then we care to connect through compassion. And then the third thing is that we show up, we risk engagement. 
which is showing up. It's stepping into somebody else's story and being part of their solution. It's getting our hands dirty. It's, it's actually feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty and clothing those who need uh, clothes or, or welcoming a stranger such as a refugee or a foster child into your home. It's meeting and caring for the tangible needs of vulnerable and displaced people around us. And I just gotta say, like, this is the heartbeat for outreach, for our outreach ministry here at Abundant Life Church, that we wanna be the kind of people that respond compassionately, that respond to the call to go, that will show up with a posture of service and will risk getting involved, that will respond to the call to engage. And then Matthew 25, 40 says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Save people are sent people who serve people. So today I wanted to make it really practical, and I know like you start to kind of hear a message like this, and God might be calling and stirring in all kinds of different ways, but I wanted to introduce uh, you as our church to those that we have decided like that share our heartbeat for our community, that share a love for Jesus, and who we are partnering with uh, in our local community. And so some of our, our partners are out uh, in the lobby uh, today that are working around houselessness and foster care and uh, vulnerable families or caring for those uh, who are experiencing poverty and keeping them in their home. And I just want to encourage you as a, as a next step as we leave here that you would just take a moment to stop by and, and to learn a little bit more about uh, what they're doing and how our church is being part of that. Uh, maybe it's a way that you might be able to get involved. You could take a flyer. Um, but this, we wanted to create sort of a space and an opportunity for you to respond to the call to go to serve and to engage. And why do we do this? Why is this important? Well, it's important because this is what Jesus did for us, right? Jesus, who we follow, Jesus, who, who we worship, who we serve, right? He saw our need for a savior. We were vulnerable and displaced. And he saw our need for a savior. He can, had compassion for us. The Bible says that we were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus then leaves his place in heaven and he steps into our reality. He steps into our mess. And then what does he do? He engaged with our need. And, and he touched lepers. He healed the sick. He raised people from the dead. He does the same in our life as he touches and heals and loves and showed his grace and he forgave. And then what does he do? Well, then Jesus goes to the cross and he gives up his life willingly out of love and sacrifice for each one of us so that we might have a fresh start and a new life in him. And so as we look at the call that God has for us, it's not, it's not just a call to go and to do, it's for us to express the very heart that God has for us, that we would respond out of a love of a savior who stepped into our world, forgave us, gave us new life, and we might express the same kind of love towards others. Because saved people are sent people who serve people. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I wanna thank you so much for being a kind and gracious God. God who did not leave us in our own uh, mess and our own struggles and our own uh, God way, but that you saw our need and that you 
stepped in, God. You stepped into our world. You stepped in uh, to, to our mess and to our brokenness. And you provided a way for us, God, to experience healing in our own life and a fresh start and a new life in you. And so, God, I just pray as a church, would you fill us with that kind of love and compassion for those around us? God, would we be compelled and motivated by your love for us, God, that we might choose to live that out in a very tangible and practical way outside of the walls of our church? And God, that we would respond to the call to go, that we would respond, God, to serve out of, out of a posture of service for others, and God, that we would respond to the call to engage with the needs of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.